fake bills, fake faces, and faking it till you make it. One thing that's not fake is our love for you, dear listener. And judging by that big old clock tower, it's time for new cyber and cigarettes. Operating the printing presses today are Beautiful Faceplant Natalie. Hello. Creepy Eyeless Zenigata Mask, Emma. Hi. Silver Fox Drew. Hey, howdy. And me, Chris, the practice of Caliostro. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Very apt. Very apt for this episode today. And hello! And welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a loop on the third podcast, a podcast about a monkey faced thief his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and the live-action entries of the Loop on the Third franchise in, in mostly, chronological order. So, before we get into the uh, the main event today, how's everyone doing? Hey, Chris, what have you been up to? How's life been treating you? Well, I'm currently up to six foot one. Um, <laughs> see, uh, last week I got back from Lexington Comic and Toy Convention, and... Here in a few hours, I'm going to go see the Super Mario Brothers movie. So, pretty stoked about that. How about you folks? Hey, yo, Emma, what have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, one at a time, please, everybody. <laughs> Sound like an AA meeting for a second. Um, <laughs> don't, don't put that in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, am nearing uh, 12 months sober, and that has been Yay. a wonderful thing. That's been oh, probably yeah. what I'm uh, the most up to, and it's caused me to get into a lot of things uh, watching-wise. I guess with anime, um, I have been watching the newest uh, 2022 Yorisei Yatsura on High Dive. Um, I've also been watching Birdie Wing and also the uh, newest uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, Witch for Mercury. I recently finished uh, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. Highly, 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 highly recommend uh, if you're looking for a good laugh. Um, otherwise, um, just going to get through those anime and see what comes up next. Natalie, how about you? Um, well, aside from some personal stuff that are that is finally concluded, and I'm kind of like trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, I have been prepping because for some, I've been prepping for an event because my best friend's getting married in two weeks. And I'm the maid of honor. So it's like, yay, I got my dress. And I bought some makeup. And I'm getting my hair done on Thursday, my hair color redone. So I'm excited about that. But other stuff, you know, like, with my master's program, been doing a lot of reading and research. Um, 
accepted a evening job to um, be a teacher's assistant at my university. So that's pretty exciting. Extra money coming in. And also um, just been catching up on a lot of films that I haven't watched because of being busy. Like, I know this came out in 2020, but I finally watched Soul, um, the Pixar film. Hey. And uh, yeah, um, it's very much Harold and Maude, but without the obsession with death. <laughs> Because you know the the theme is live your <laughs> live your life, <laughs> so you know that's always good. And I did see. Um, I'm mad that I didn't get um, rush tickets or any cheap tickets for Six the Musical, but I did see Fiddler on the Roof when it was doing its uh, week engagement here in San Francisco. And I'm glad. You know, it's kind of sad that the show is becoming more relevant now due to the rise of anti-Semitism and the Ukrainian crisis, but. Um, it's still a great show, and it and it was fun. It was fun to watch. So that that's been that's been my life. <laughs> uh, Drew, how about yourself? Ah, uh, well, apart from uh, work, uh, wearing both me and my hands down, I work on cars for a living, so that's real nice. A lot of smashing my fingers about every day. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I've been mostly just catching up on a lot of uh. Stuff actually, actually, um, uh, I've been kind of making my way through a uh, kind of goal I set for myself this year to just exclusively get into gaming-wise Final Fantasy fighting games, and at some point the Devil May Cry games because I now have all of them. But I right now I'm like I just finished Final Fantasy VII remake, which was awesome, even though I've never played Final Fantasy VII. So during the entire in, like ending sequence, I was like. <laughs> what? Which apparently also happened if you're familiar with the original game. So I guess I'm not like feeling too left out there. No, I mean, I started playing. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's basically what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have no, I, I have no context for any of this. I've only played six, which is great, but that's all I got seven, as far as Final Fantasy goes. Seven is on a whole nother level. Like when, when I first played that game, I was probably humming one winged, one winged angel all over all over my <laughs> high school and people just looking at me I'm weird like I'm singing in Latin like I just got out of church or something <laughs> <laughs> but I started playing uh, the uh, PS5 version of uh, Final Fantasy 7 uh, Crisis Core which I've only played a little bit of and it's great because Zach is a complete doofus and I love him it's great um, uh, show wise um, boy there's a lot I'm gonna just single out a few but like uh emma i finished uh, gundam witch for mercury not too long ago which is uh amazing and i believe as of recording the second season starts in five days so uh i'm really excited about that and uh been also watching through the mobile suit gundam the origin ova series which is like a prequel to the original gundam series which is wild and kind of great char asnable what an ass. I love him. Um, and then movie wise, I finally saw uh, everything everywhere all at once, like a whole year late, because after one best picture, uh, one of my local theaters uh, showed it again. And I got to see it and it was uh, incredible and deserved that Oscar as far as I'm concerned. And I also saw John Wick Chapter four a few weeks ago. And uh, God help every other blockbuster that comes out this year because they don't stand a chance. Well, um, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me interject <laughs> and say because um, I did see the Dungeons and Dragons okay, film. There. 
Well, yeah. Well, cocaine bear, cocaine bear's on another level. <laughs> Excuse me. I saw it too. I, cocaine bear was a fun theater ride. Like, uh, oh, it was great. Mar- Mar- I took Maria to see that, and Maria's not one for those kind of films. But she left. I think she left a changed woman and was like, "You like this kind of stuff?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's a perfect B movie. Exactly. The B is for bear, <laughs> or as I call it, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't take credit for that one, but I love it. But no, let me interject through and say that the best movie that came out this weekend, because I haven't seen John Wick for, is the Dungeons and Dragons film. It is mm, nice. I'm not a big Dungeons and Dragons fan. I, I have a short attention span to do role playing games, even though I do love them and the shiny dice. But to my friends who went with me, who are big D&D fans, they loved it. So if they loved it and I as a movie goer lo- loved it, you guys will love it. It's really good. <laughs> Emma, you were going to say something? I was just going to ask what fighting games. Oh, I, oh, yeah. I should probably mention which ones I've been playing. Um, I've been playing, oh, my God, downloaded Dead or Alive 5 on a whim. And uh, me and uh, Becca, uh, my girlfriend, have been playing that and having a fucking blast with it. It's the most wild shit. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and then I... We got so into it, I just straight up bought Dead or Alive 6 for the full price, 60 bucks, just to play it. It's also wild and wonderful. The other big one that I've been getting into is uh, Street Fighter V. Recently started playing that. And, and like I, I've also got the uh, the Street Fighter Anniversary Collection, which has all the old games. Um, uh, it was real fun because I went to my brother's house and uh, we played Dead or Alive. And I just got completely washed like every match. Just like shamelessly had my ass whooped but then we started playing street fighter and everyone started getting really annoyed because i just kept whooping everybody's ass so well, hey string everyone has their strengths and weaknesses i suppose they have street fighter 2 on um as like an arcade game in one of the restaurants here oh hell and yeah remember, my ex-husband and i we went there and he was like i bet i could beat you in this i was like okay and i just wiped the floor. <laughs> yes. As Chun Li. Yeah. So, <laughs> as, but of as course. My wife. <laughs> and so he was like, okay, whatever. And then he eventually got me Dragon Ball Fighters. Oh, Fighters. The Fighters fucking rules. I have that too. And he, again, misunderestimated my mashing ability. <laughs> <laughs> and like lack of strategic ability because I again just wiped the floor with him. This was all I could have on him was fighting games that weren't Smash Melee. Mm. I had to take what I could get. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also speaking of Street Fighter, I also bought a very cute little Chun Li sticker for my PS5, and it's adorable. Cute. I'm still. <laughs> I've been working on my Chun Li cosplay for the past <clears throat> five years because. She's, oh, hell yeah. she's my girl too. I've been playing I've been playing Street Fighter since I was seven. And I was I don't know, something about them thick thighs and those those adorable mm. hair buns, you know? Like <laughs> but also I'm more of a I, I like Tekken. I don't know. I just really liked Eddie Gordo. Ooh. I liked Eddie Gordo. Love Tekken. <laughs> Love Tekken. Yeah. It, New Tekken Cut this year too. I'm excited I know. for that. I'm super excited. I've always kind of a Yoshimitsu guy myself. He's just so darn weird. <laughs> I like your shit too. It's like I, I don't know what it is about Tekken. I guess, I guess I just liked the 
variety in the characters because they had oh mm-hmm. what's her name um who who replaced eddie who's from brazil and does capoeira i fucking love her just can't remember her name right now god it's been forever but uh <laughs> but watch me remember it in the middle of reviewing this episode and be like that's her name <laughs> we're going to kiss talk <laughs> But uh, speaking of things I've been watching uh, recently, I know one thing I watched and all of us watched and Lupontic folks. <sighs> finally, after um, I, I look today after a whole ass year of uh, me saying we were getting back on uh, April of last year, we are finally back to covering part one episode by episode. Obviously, you listen to our uh Last two are our two recent recaps of part one where we covered uh, the pilot film up to episode nine. So let's get back into it, shall we? On this episode, we'll be talking about Loop on the Third Part One, episode 10. Target the cash counterfeiter or hunt down the counterfeiter if you want to be a coward. I'm still not. I'm not acknowledging the TMS titles. I'm sorry. I don't care if they're on the discotheque, on the new discotheque Blu-ray. I don't care if they're in the book. If you go to High Dive, if you have the old discotheque Blu-ray. No, it's the DVD. You have the better titles. Rainy afternoons are bad, by the way. Oh, yeah. Rainy afternoons. One wolf calls a wolf. Look, as someone who lives in California and we've had the worst rainstorm we've seen in a while, fucking atmospheric rivers and shit. Yeah. Rainy afternoons are bad. (laughs) Yeah, but they're also dangerous, which is a better title. Exactly. Because, you know, one, they are dangerous because we've had flooding. And two, that is a better title. So (laughs) fuck it. (laughs) All right. So. This episode aired on December 26, 1971. The episode itself is uncredited. However, on the uh, the 50 animated years of Loop on the Third Book, it is credited as being directed by Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata with Masaki Osumi. Um, this is one of those episodes that, and I'll get into this more a little bit later, but it's one that Miyazaki and Takahata had a little bit more involvement with, but still not full control, but their influence comes in a lot stronger here. Oh, yeah, you, you definitely tell. Oh, yeah. And uh, this episode was written by Toru Sawaki. Um, uh, we've talked about him before. He has written um, uh, episodes of Kyojin no Hoshi or uh, Star of the Giants, as well as four films in that series. He wrote two episodes of the original of the original 1969 Dororo series. And he previously wrote episodes four and nine of part one, which nine we just talked about recently. You know, uh, the Poon episode. Which is very fun to contrast with this one, which I'll get into later. Uh, this episode was storyboarded by Norio Yazawa. Uh, he did storyboards for Captain Tsubasa, the 1980s Astro Boy series, Galactic Patrol Linsman, Pollyanna, the uh, similarly ill-fated Moomin series that was directed by Masaki Osumi for a while before he was kicked off of it, too. Um, Folktales from Japan. And uh, this is always a fun one to point out. Flying House in both seasons of Superbook, which you don't know if the, what those are. Those are anime produced by Tatsunoko Productions and licensed by the Christian Broadcasting Network. And shit, I had to watch as a sheltered little Baptist child. So, <laughs> weird connection here. Is that the devil one? <laughs> no, it's not. It would rule if it was, though. <laughs> one day, listener, you'll hear the story of that. You know, I was not expecting to find a connection between this episode the Christian Broadcasting Network, and Speed Racer. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, that was Tatsunoko. 
<laughs> the so, six degrees of Lupin the Third. Well, there's another connection. Yeah, I can't remember the animator's name where not only did they work on Lupin, but they also worked on that. I say god awful because I hated that movie growing up. The animated Frosty the Snowman film. Oh, Osamu Dezaki. Osamu <laughs> motherfucking Dezaki. <laughs> I'm sorry, like that was the that and fucking Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer was the were the two films I hated growing up for Christmas, and it was just like that's a very controversial thing to say. I'm sorry, but I don't care. Like I'm like we might get sniped. I'm I'm going to get. I'm going to like also bring in more connections. There is a gigantic Mobile Suit Gundam connection with those, by the way, because Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, aka. The other guy who made Gundam with Tomi, well, he didn't make Gundam, but he was like a big part of the original yeah. series, arguably the best part. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, had a huge influence over the character designs in those Rankin Bass Christmas specials. I mean, like, he is pretty much the one who made those character designs in many of those, which is awesome. But uh, anyway, getting back on, back on track, uh, Yazawa also did key animation for Kyojin no Hoshi, Doraemon Obocha no Omoide. Uh, Pandago Panda and Pandago Panda Rainy Day, both of which were uh, directed by Isao Takahata and written by Hayao Miyazaki, and six episodes of Lupin the Third Part One. And now the synopsis of this episode is: <clears throat> Lupin and Jigen fly to Kowalski Kingdom to find the retired counterfeiting ex- expert Ivanov hiding with his mistress, the Ukraine Silver Fox. Baron Ukraine, the Silver Fox's nephew, wants Ivanov for himself. It's a race to see who will find Ivanov and convince him to work for them first, but the Baron hired Fujiko and a man called Flinch to kill his competition. So, getting into our usual roundtable reactions. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about this episode? I was muted. Let's try that again. Okay, so... <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's just always thinking shut up by default, but I decided to take care of it myself this time. All right, so... <laughs> all right, I'm just going to do my usual shtick where I just go through the notes I wrote here. I feel like the opening with the dynamite feels very monkey punchish. Mm-hmm. I also really like the uh, gag of Lupin and Jigen not being able to hear each other over the plane's engine. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> and also kind of a realistic touch. Mm-hmm. Um, Lupin and Jigen ripping off counterfeit bills and then openly ditching them seemed to be a concept Miyazaki really liked. Mm. I feel like the animation is kind of weird. It's like the bullets from Fujiko's plane. It looks like streams of baked beans. <laughs> Well, am I wrong, though? <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. God damn it. I watched the Latino Spanish with my mom, and we were both sitting there. We both saw that scene, and my mother legit was like, in Spanish, saying, why does the animation look like someone is throwing frijoles at the plane? And yeah, it's like, mom. I also I also just want to point out that, Natalie, when you held up your chai cup, I thought you were holding up a can of beans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew our listeners cannot see, 
but I have my <laughs> I have my chai in my Starbucks California mug. So it, it looks like a can no, of beans. As, as far, no, as far as our listeners know, you are holding up a can of Heinz beans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they oh, can't see us. Okay, come on. Can you at least give, give the Latina some dignity and say I'm holding like refried a can of refried beans at least? Heinz is okay, for me to us Latinos, okay? <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, I love Fujiko, but even I enjoy seeing Lupin get one over on her sometimes. Mm. Like when he steals her plane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of nice to see it. You know, the scales tip a little bit. Mm. Um, I think the clock tower is a really cool looking set piece. Mm. Like like the way it's depicted as being like this mountain of snow with the clock face peeking out. And then you have all the gears and stuff inside. It's It's really nice. Is this the first time Lupin goes to Europe? In the enemy, um, I think yeah, so. Definitely. I mean, so I thought, Europe, yeah. Europe equivalent because is it specified that they're in the Soviet Union? No, not specified. Okay, no, like, but it, it, it's pretty obvious that they are. No, I know, yeah. but it's like yeah. they, they don't say they don't say it outright, right? That they're like, oh, we're going, we're going to the Soviet no, Union. No, they don't, <laughs> but, but I feel like they don't have to say it either. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> um, the whole bit with uh, Lupin as Zenigata dodging the wall guns, firing at him, I can in my head I can picture that being a manga page. It's like I can I can imagine exactly how Monkey Punch would have drawn that. Jigen unlocking the door was unnecessarily well animated. <laughs> it's like it's appreciated, but just kind of unnecessary. Um, <laughs> door latch Sakuga. Yeah, oh, that'd be a good band name. Um, <laughs> About as safe as carrying a bomb through a blazing inferno. That sounds like an attempt at a part two type of dub line, but it's kind of lacks in the personality, I think. Yeah, um, uh, the, I like the subtitle version better, better where Jigen's like, <laughs> teen up with her is like, just, what was it, uh, take it, uh, walking with a bomb into a fire. It's like, su- it's like just super yeah. blunt. Right. Of course, uh, they may have to, may have had to take like lip flap and all that into consideration as well. So, yeah. I think this episode feels like a successor to Rainy Afternoons Are Bad in like the tone hmm. and plot. You know, just has similar vibes, I think. And again, I say this with every part one episode, but Tony Oliver is so freaking good in this. Oh, yeah. Well, as long as I sit here and just wait here patiently, I guess I'll get up there eventually. <laughs> I love that. Uh Speaking of which, uh, Lupin falling asleep on the clock hand has always concerned me because I know falling asleep is one of the signs you're freezing to death. Oh. <laughs> so it, it, uh, it's always worried me whenever I watch that. Uh, the bootleg I had back in the day had Lupin refer to Ivanov as something like a paper Superman, which is a, kind of a neat line. Huh. I don't I don't remember if Discotech's subtitle had that. I don't think it did. The part where Ivanov keeps dropping Lupin further and further down the trap door. That feels like such a monkey punch bit as well. Because, like, this episode isn't based on any particular chapter, but it feels like it could have been because of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, Lupin's face plant when he hits the bottom, like, it is absolutely hilarious. I think like, that is, like, the best moan of slapstick in all of part one, I think. Like, a decade ago, I had a gif of it saved just in case I ever needed it. Um, uh, also, Lupin's frantic running and flailing from the explosions is great. The fist fight between Lupin and Flinch. Mm-hmm. It's surprisingly brutal, but still really funny, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my notes here, I have the phrase, 
Mike Tyson's monkey punch out. I got a pretty good laugh after out of undercutting the tragedy of Ivanov's suicide in mourning with Fujiko shocked, but otherwise, well, so much for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, like it's, it's so funny and it doesn't feel like, like they're undercutting it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I love the fact that Lupin refuses to let his ego get as bruised as his face was to the point where it Mm -hmm. extends into the preview for the next episode. Where he's still, where he's still talking like he won the fight. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I, I really, really like this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can see a whole lot of the beginnings of where the castle of Cagliostro comes from. Oh yes. So it's really fascinating from a historical perspective in that sense, but it's just a really solid, fun episode. I, I like this a lot. So far, it's definitely a top five for me. Hmm. Very nice, very nice. Okay, I've rambled on enough. Somebody else go now. Natalie, how about you? How how are you feeling about hunting down the cash counterfeiter? Um, it's another one of those part one episodes that doesn't feel like a marathon for me. I will say that. I will also point out that is, I mean, in Spanish they pronounce it even off, um, which makes sense given the um, Russian connotation. But it's like I haven't heard much of the English dub. Is it Ivanov or Ivanov in the English dub? Ivanov. I, I say that because like um, Ivanov is a name. It's one of those um, Slavic sounding names that is been reused a lot in the Lupin franchise. Because you guys got to remember in one of my favorite um, TV specials, which is um, Voyage to Danger, um, the ship that they well the the nuclear submarine that they steal is called the Ivanov. And um, and if you remember, and if you guys know in the part two episode where. Uh, Jigen tries to go for the border with um, the ballerina dancer. Um, they proclaim themselves on their fake passports, Mr. and Mrs. Um, Ivanov. So it's like, man, the Lupin franchise really likes to throw back to this episode with that name. And you know what? Kudos, respect. You know, Ian Hayden is this, you know, after <laughs> when you see those things first when I was younger and then you watch part one, it's like, they really like that name. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I really do like this episode. I like how we're out of Japan and we're in what I assume is the Soviet Union because of, you know, the Ukrainian Fox, um, because like, spoiler alert, guys, um, Ukraine wasn't always Ukraine, it was part of Russia, and then it was part of the Soviet Union, and it didn't gain its rightful, yes, I said it, its rightful autonomy, excuse me, until the collapse of the Soviet Union. And then we all know what's Mm. going on right now. And I'm not going to go into that. But it was Mm -hmm. nice for the Lupin gang to be somewhere outside of Japan. Yeah, for one of the first times, because I because again, what interested me with, um, with Lupin is, like with Carmen Sandiego, there's that wonderlust there, like, if you're going to steal some of the greatest treasures, or, you know, get get into shenanigans with some of like, the world's most notorious um, crime syndicates and whatnot, you're going to have to do it outside of Japan. The the shenanigans in this is great. I do love how like, well, we can kind of joke that this is like the precursor to Cagliostro because a lot of elements are there, like the counterfeit money, the throwing away of the money, um, the elegance of an older lady, even though there wasn't an older lady in Cagliostro, but you get, you get my point. What's it called? Yes. Precursor Cagliostro, but it also has a lot of slapstick in there that makes it just so Miyazaki that I love. Like, yeah, I do enjoy the big beans <laughs> shooting. Um, but also I, I love how this is probably one of the first ones where 
I mean, so far in part one, you do have the Fujiko um, betraying Lupin aspects of, in some episodes. Like, of course, when she goes in cahoots with Goemon and, um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank here. But yeah, we, we've had the moments where Fujiko is not entirely part of the gang, but having the moment where she's just very much like, yeah, I'm in it to backstab him and get and get the treasure first, like to really see it fully fleshed out in this episode was really, really nice. Because it's like, ah, so this is the Fujiko I know and love. Get it, girl. And then, you know, <laughs> Lup- especially because of the witty back and forth that Lupin and Fujiko have. Um Again, I didn't watch the English dub. I watched it in Latino Spanish. But what I love in the Latino Spanish is when um, after she shoots him and the plane goes down and she's like, you know, we could have just avoided all this altogether. You know, she's thinking that. And then behind her is Lupin like, oh, honey, I missed you too. And then she just, he just like flies away with that shit inning grin that he has. And she's like, like it's like dumbfounded. <laughs> Esto fue demasiado sencillo. Ahora mismo es tan fácil de vencer. Aquí pasa algo muy extraño. Yo también te he extrañado mucho, querida amiga. ¿Tú? ¡Aramis, espera! Also, um, I have a joke about the blonde guy. <laughs> uh, it's like if Pai Cal and Mamo had a blonde baby. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the look because it really looks like a blonde pie cal except the hair is wavier um i mean with mama's cloning technology it's possible possible or maybe just like monkey punch and the other um animators could only draw like the same kind of person <laughs> so all the characters look related <laughs> or maybe maybe it's linda and pie cal's child who's to say I, I say that because she was the uh, only other blonde up to that point. <laughs> that's going to our uh, Pepe Sylvia pe- part one. Uh, uh, part uh, one board. Pepe Sylvia board. Are the dickheads on there too? Oh yeah. The dickheads. Now the, uh, the love child of uh, Pike Allen, Linda. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I really do enjoy this episode. I love the, the very Cagliostro feel of it, especially when you consider the fact mm. that, a lot of us more modern Lupin fans probably watched this before we watched Cal- probably watched Cagliostro before we watched this and not, you know, like mm. the more conventional Lupin fans, probably like the more older ones probably watched this. And then Cagliostro was like, Oh, it feels like this one, one part, part one episode. So yeah, I enjoyed this episode. Um, Very nice. I'm going to stop rambling to let other people ramble. And if I find anything else <laughs> I like, I'll let you know. <laughs> Hell yeah. Emma. How do you feel about Gash Counterfeiter and the targeting of him? Feel, feeling pretty good about it. Um, good, good. Say the least. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing, Kowalski, that, that's a name used again, isn't it? Kind of like uh, Ivanov. It, Kowalski, isn't that like the, the antagonist in Babylon? I yeah, I think you're right. Oh, Hold yes. on a minute. Um, that says uh, Fried Jigen. <laughs> Fried Jigen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kowalski's the villain of Babylon, the guy with the poison fly swatter. Yeah. They they oh, sure yeah. Okay. Well, when you have a franchise at all, it doesn't surprise me that they reuse a lot of stuff, but it, it's kind of like right. y- your mind starts playing the game of is it all connected? Mm. <laughs> or did I already use this before? I mean, I forget half the time. Um <laughs> but, and I mean, you kind of already mentioned that Natalie with um a lot of like design choices and like uh 
shitty blonde characters, I guess. <laughs> Seems to be a running theme in this franchise. It's just asshole blondes. Not all um, blondes are <laughs> assholes. See, like, like, not all, but a lot of them. I mean, the most recent one being, like, Albert. Uh, I mean, so, like, as a child, kind of. Well, yeah, he was a blonde child. Our favorite little stinker. (laughs) So, this guy, also little stinker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, I had more on the shitty blonde. Oh, oh, um, because you're saying, like, a lot of the designs are similar. Well, you know, like, that also worked for uh, Matsumoto. He just kind of picked a design and went for it. Mm hmm. Uh, you know, it works. If that is the method that anime like uses at that time, it's obviously worked. So, oh hell yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Emma, you'll love this as a Helsing fan, but I don't know if you know this, but Kota Hirano, um, before Helsing, he was more he was predominantly a hen- a hentai artist. So, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, a lot of his character designs for Helsing <laughs> came from his from his old hentai stories like anderson was known as angel dust which is another word for cocaine which was one of the hentais he did and he also joked that i can yeah. only draw two types of women big tittied women and women that look like men so that's how you get saras and integra yeah yeah very no. <laughs> nice if it, if it isn't broke don't fix it I love any time that uh, the, like, yeah song is used. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> any time they use it in part one, any time they use it in zero, I'm like, the song fucking rules. <laughs> <laughs> Turn up the out to 11. Yeah. Just like, it's hype, man. Um, love that. Um, it also like is used at a time where like Jigen is just I know Chris had mentioned them talking over each other, uh, which was like a nice human touch. And I think I mentioned that on like we were just conversing casually the other night. I was like, Yeah, that's just funny to me because that's just very much like old man behavior. <laughs> that they're probably like in their safe houses just being like, huh? What'd you say? <laughs> I mean, Jigen especially, probably because he has tinnitus, like, up the wazoo. Um, <laughs> so, like, that doesn't surprise me that they're like, yelling at each other over this loud-ass plane. But also, Jigen's just hanging out of the plane. Oh, yeah. Which- Lounge <laughs> king. It's like one, <laughs> one foot out of the plane. And you got to wonder, isn't that dangerous? Not to Jigen, right, apparently. You know, like, this, this is not uh, approved. Like <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like we've mentioned, that this is quite obviously the precursor to Cagliostro. Um, there's a lot of elements to this that were used in the movie. Um, and I'm glad that they are like, that there are like two separate entities that people can look at and go back and forth between the two to see the differences and like also like the change of time um, in between the two. The, the the micro fingers thing kind of threw me off a little bit. Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, like literally. And like they kept saying it, and I'm like, I don't like this. Lupin, <laughs> um, I really like, I started laughing mainly because I just think of references all the time. That's just my brain. When Luke. Lupin was talking about 
the bills and he was like these are art i just kept thinking of like dean from the iron giant <laughs> it's art <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is just lupon right now he was so psyched about that which was really cool to see i like it when lupon gets excited over mm-hmm. things like Me that too. where like he recognizes the skill of other people and like even though clearly and i'm going to talk about more like his ego is definitely front and center uh in this episode later on but like when those moments happen you kind of see him be like almost reflective in a way that it's like oh wow people are just as good as me um at certain things to the point where it actually can surprise him and i like it when he is surprised um Mm. and i think it happens enough um, yeah series so i i liked that um we all have a sassy old lady like that um <laughs> let's see jigan's laugh in the dub when they fly off in the plane one of my favorite things in this entire episode <laughs> it's so funny because also it's funny that and i know chris had mentioned the animation this episode was kind of wonky between the beans but also their mouths aren't really moving in that sequence so it's mm. really funny to me to hear that with such a sardonic laugh. <laughs> and I just loved it. I watched the dub right after I watched the sub. Um, and, and like with most uh, aspects that we watch, even like with the specials that we've done, like episode zero, there are parts of the sub that I like better and there are parts of the dub that I like better. That was one of them um, in particular. And uh, mentioned before that Tony Oliver is just incredible. He's the goat. His little, like, when he's falling down the trap doors, like, each time, which I loved, that stuff, like, kills That's from the whole episode, let's be honest. It's like you said, it's sort of perfect slapstick humor, and his little no that he does. It's time to give up, Mr. Lupo. No, and I will never give up. Is so bratty. And so cute. I love it. And I know he's supposed to be younger in part one, but like I didn't say like almost like that young because I like literally sounds like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, are you done asking me? He's like, no. <laughs> and then he falls down another one and he face plants and stuff. Um I mentioned earlier Lupin's ego being front and center. I love that little bit at the end. Uh, obviously, that fist fight is so funny. Um, but the little bit at the end when he's like all bandaged up and he's talking to Jigen and he's basically like, well, you should have seen the other guy as he's just like covered in bandages. <laughs> and like I said, he just keeps going. It's like, bro. It was like me earlier when I forgot that Chris hadn't seen Alcatraz Connection, but I kept talking about Alcatraz Connection. <laughs> and I was just like, you just kind of like dig in your heels and you kind of like just roll with it. <laughs> like, they could not see me in a moment to read this. And that is loop on there. And I love that. Again, I was, again, I was still on board. I was, you know, I was hanging on your door, man. I just didn't have, I just didn't have any context. <laughs> Jigen, however, didn't seem as much on board here. Um, mm. I can't imagine he would be. He kind of seems to always be the pick up the pieces type of guy uh, here, especially. I can only imagine what those injuries would be like to heal. So 
But yeah, I love that little bit. Uh, both in the sub and the dub was perfect. Um, mm. The contrast between the two. Um, that's really all I got for right now. Oh, heck yeah. Jigen's kind of like the Joe Pesci in Home Alone to um, <laughs> to Lupin, whatever the other actor's name is. You know, the Web Bandits. It's just like, like Lupin. You're thinking of like Daniel Stern. Jigen, I've reached the top. <laughs> I'm sorry. Chris, what did you say? Uh, were you thinking of Daniel Stern? Yes. I don't know, like, the way Emma just described it, it made me think of the, the bandits in Home Alone, which I only remembered, you know, Joe Pesci, because it's Joe motherfucking Pesci. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, Jigen yeah. is Joe Pesci, and Lupin's the other guy. <laughs> Except smarter. I've, <laughs> I've reached the top. <laughs> <laughs> he would, too, actually. <laughs> Drew, what do you got for us? All right. So, man, I really like this episode. And the one thing I'm going to like start off with is uh, on the discotheque Blu-ray in the liner notes, they have an excerpt from Miyazaki from the book uh, Starting Point, which I'm actually going to buy pretty soon because I actually want to read up on Miyazaki's like a uh, point of view, like kind of during well, not during this time period. This is from 1979 to 1996, but just, you know, have it for perspective, future reference. Um the excerpt uh, goes as such. Cagliostro was like a clearance sale of all I had done on Lupin and during my Toei days. I don't think I added anything new. I can understand why people who had followed my work were extremely disillusioned. You can't use a sullied middle-aged guy to create fresh work that will wow viewers. With every Lupin piece I made, it was obvious I was just trotting out everything I had done before. Which like, man, that's harsh. Like, I don't think I would go as far as saying that because I, I obviously there's a lot of parallels with this episode in the castle of Cagliostro, but for me, they were like super interesting because I like seeing this type of story with a, like a younger, more hothead Lupin that is referred back to in Cagliostro specifically. I, I, one thing that kind of like, I may have overthought this episode just a wee little bit. But I, I love the scene, Emma, the one you brought up, where Lupin, like, you know, approaches Ivanov and he's just praising him for all his amazing work and recognizing his genius. But I, I love the little detail of Lupin just not being able to process the fact that Ivanov is done. Like, he's an old man, he's retired, he wants no more of it. And I find, I don't know, I find something about that, like, very interesting. Like you have a loop on here that can't accept a man who's like retired and ready to like move on compared to the loop on at the end of Cagliostro, who it seems for a bit when they're driving away is seriously considering like, you know, going back to Cagliostro or at least has deep, you know, he's conflicted at the end a little bit and, 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 and very kind of introspective. I don't know. I just find that interesting to see like a loop on who's like so brash and hot headed compared to like where we'll see him in a few years or a few decades more like. Um, uh, <laughs> well, can I just interject and say like, I think because like you, I may have overthought it as well. And I had to watch Cagliostro after I watched it to kind of put into perspective the big difference between um, Lupin looking at even off like, bro, like you're amazing. How can you retire? How can like you give up all this? And then that split moment in Cagliostro, he's like, maybe I could stay. And it just brings back mm -hmm. the, the not the eternal, but the 
ever-present question that somehow Lupin the Third throughout throughout the years kind of always comes back to, but we kind of got it very much answered in um, Bye Bye Lady Liberty and also Part Five, which is that these guys cannot be domesticated. They're very much like mm. you know ground. They're grounded in what they do, and they can't. They don't know any other part of life, and you know families and home lives that's not really them it doesn't work what they do is dangerous mm. they will live that danger zony life like no like i i, I kind of overthought it too until i watched caliostra and then caliostra reminded me all right these people are criminals these people are vagabonds these people cannot be domesticated part five you know with lupon and fujiko tried to illust- illustrated that and did it very well so mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing I may have overthought in this episode, but it's just a really cool detail I like. And like, it's, I don't know if it's intentional. It's probably not, but I really like it. All the bits inside the clock tower where you just have that ambient sound of the, uh, you know, the gears turning. And it's just like this really interesting atmosphere, like the sound of like time going on. And you've got like, you know, like the, uh, the, you got the bear in Ukraine. You've got Silver Fox and Ivanov, especially Silver Fox and Ivanov, like two people who like their time is coming to a close. And like, it's like you've got kind of like, like that kind of ambient sound has this really kind of tragic backdrop to it. Like, of like, you know, they're, I don't, know, I don't even know how I'm trying to word this here, but like, they like their, their fate is inevitable. And just like, it's, wait, we find a better way to word that. It's the end of an era. Yeah, the end of an era, like time passing, literally time passing. Yeah. And there's, it's just kind of like an interesting little reminder there. That, that's a cool thought, too, when you bring up what you were just saying about Lupin not accepting that, too. It just really brings up a deeper connotation to it. Like yeah. That he's able to accept the passage of time. Yeah, why am mm-hmm. why am I just reminded of like the introduction to fucking Days of Our Lives? Like the, the whole, you know, what they say before the show starts. Um, oh, God. I had it off the tip of my head, but like, just like the sands of time. So are the days of our lives or something, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> God damn it. And you've got that sound going. I, I love even off. Like he seems like a guy who has like a lot of regret about his past. His time has gone on. And that like, just even adds more to that kind of motif of like time and looking back and not having much time left. It's also kind of interesting to contrast it with, uh, you know, with Fujiko and Lupin who are, you know, very much, you know, portrayed as being younger and more short-sighted. And mm-hmm. again, especially Fujiko, it's like her reaction to that tragedy. It's just, oh, well, <laughs> she's, literally, next one. she's literally like, that's the way the cookie crumbles and then just moves on. It's like, I would have been there like, girl, don't you at least have a little bit of a heart for the man? And she'd just be like, no, text <laughs> <laughs> her nails out. And, no. uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's another scene that I love because with these episodes, um, and this is just going by the Japanese Wikipedia that's roughly translated. So like take it with a grain of salt, but like apparently episodes four through eight and 10 through 12 were partially rewritten and directed by Miyazaki and Takahata and like, are generally like considered to have like more of their influence on it, but there's still Osimi stuff in there. And there's something very interesting about the end of this episode, for me, it kind of serves as like a uh, a little indication of where we're going to be heading soon, because you have this incredibly like kind of heartfelt, tragic thing with 
the Baron Ukraine and Silver Fox and Iwanov happening like in this clock tower and it's played a hundred percent straight, no gag. Like it's actually like that that bit where Ivanov like turns around after turning the dial and it does like a push it on his face and he has just like this soft, very faint smile as he looks at Silver Fox as like, you know, he ends his life for her because, you know, she was pretty much his only world aside from the clocks. And while you have this kind of darker, downbeat, Killer Sings the Blues, Masakio Sumi ending happening in this clock tower. You have Lupin and Flinch just beating the ever-loving shit out of each other, oblivious, while like goofy music plays. And they're like, did you hear that? Did you hear something out in the distance? And he's like, I don't know. I got some ringing in my ear. (laughs) They just keep beating the shit out of each other. It's like a nice little like, this is where we're like, like, you know, we're kind of leaving this in the past and this is, an area like, you know, this is a tome we're about to settle into of not taking things super seriously or being very dark. I don't know. It feels like I'm not going to say a smooth transition, but like, I know some people kind of talk about like part one is being like, you know, it feels like two very different halves of a series. I don't think so. I I, I like, I, I think you have a period where Osumi was taking over, but then you have moments, you have these episodes in between where Miyazaki and Takahata were like reworking little things more and more so their styles gradually coming in i don't know i feel like the trans the transition is not as harsh as some people make it out to be and this episode i think is kind of proof of that you you, um, you know what guys you want a lupon series that is like that has two parts of a whole series let yourself have the brain rot and watch part six i mean like there is just <laughs> there's a distinctive tonal feel and story feel between those two parts that is nothing that you cannot compare it to part one at all like yeah part one mm-hmm. it starts off very hardcore with you know the his lupon burning and and the shenanigans we got in that but the but the transition feels almost natural it doesn't feel forced at all and and, and i mm-hmm. think we explained it perfectly with um i believe it was the oh lord was it the last episode yeah the the pop-up goimon episode i think that was episode <laughs> that was episode eight i believe uh sorry mm-hmm. i'm a little a little discombobulated but yeah yeah one of my favorites because you know that transition is is there and then you get you know you get the Poon episode which tonally is very different not a lot of slapstick more serious in tone and then you get this which kind of like treads the line between humor and seriousness but it does it so well that yeah mm. you you can see where it becomes the precursor to Cagliostro. Cagliostro has these beautiful moments that are almost sweet and sincere and 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 just fully... and it's also laugh out loud funny at times yeah they're also yeah. funnily like, genuine like castle Cagliostro is a very funny movie no i mean Cagliostro, you know my mom who watches Lupin with me, especially when I was growing up, my mother has a very, she's fond of Cagliostro. That's probably her favorite Lupin film. And because it was one of those films that for her, I think she told me at the end and she's like, it feels almost Disney, but better than Disney. That was literally her, <laughs> that was literally her words because she, she loved the, the humor and the slapstick because that's a lot of the cartoons she grew up with. But also for her, she loved the sincerity in it. And it's like, yeah, go mom. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like part six oh, yeah. has distinctly different stories told in a totally different matter that it is two. It's two series within one. 
And then, of course, part one, there's a unique transition to it that mm-hmm. doesn't really it doesn't really feel like you're watching two different se- um, series at all. You're watching Lupin. It's just got better. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, I feel like uh, people overstate how dark the Osumi episodes are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when uh, once a part five was there, I remember seeing stuff on Twitter where people were talking about the uh, Jim Barnett, the third episode. Mm-hmm. It's being uh, much more along the lines of part one, which I guess it was, but they're also talking about it as being incredibly violent and dark and gritty. And it's like, no, no, it, it got pretty dumb. Yeah. <laughs> looking at you, looking at you as Lupin burning, but hey, you know, <laughs> I mean, okay, look, you cannot look at Mr. X's uh, tickle torture device and tell me this is supposed to be a grounded gritty series. No, agreed. <laughs> like, I mean, well, I mean, you also can't tell me it's good, but, you know, still. Look, I've seen, again, and, and I stand by this, that I've seen kinkier techniques and shit at BDSM clubs in San Francisco, but I've seen something akin to the tickle torture machine, and yeah, that is more comedic than, say, the other unique things that I've seen at BDSM clubs, so... Sometimes, yeah. I mean, there are people out there that love to tickle people, and there are people who like to get it, so, you know... <laughs> don't kink shame <laughs> but uh but uh speaking of being tortured by the way yeah what else you got oh <laughs> uh, yeah so, speaking of being tortured uh I, I i do love the through line of miyazaki and takahata when lupon climbs the top like you know when lupon climbs the clock tower he scoops on the clock hand just happens to wake up when he needs to i love that the picture blows away and he nearly falls off and then has to like sit on that, he has to like you know he has to sit and just freeze like almost to death, and I just love that Miyazaki and Takahata seem to enjoy just hilariously punishing Lupin just for being Lupin. Then that also happens in Cagliostro when he like you know he climbs all his way up, he gets his little thing, and then flings off. The, now, that, that's a little that turns out a little better because he eventually makes it, but still, I just love how they give him comeuppance for being who right. he is. And honestly, I feel like. This may sound strange, but I feel like that's something that they took from the original manga. Mm, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, I know like Monkey Punch and Miyazaki, their their perspectives are very, very different from each other. But, <laughs> but watching part one in Cagliostro, you get the impression that Miyazaki had read Monkey Punch's manga. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and, you can, and you can piece together the uh, things that he enjoyed from it, particularly, I think, the slapstick humor. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, and well, just real quick, I think I asked that question for the last episode we were we reviewed Chris whether or not um, Takahata or even Miyazaki had read Monkey Punch's um, manga, if not even read the original Arsene Lupin stories. And I think we concluded that he, they're both pretty, um, pretty like book nerdy that they would have. Yeah, but you know, again, like I said, I. You know, it's it's clear to me that Miyazaki had read it, mm-hmm. had read oh, yeah. Punch's manga, and you know, obviously, I feel like gives the impression that he's not into all the sex stuff, which understandable. Mm. But but you know, the slapstick humor and especially uh, the interactions between Lupin and Zenigata and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which really isn't relevant to this episode, but still. <laughs> and uh, I actually, I'm also glad you brought that up because speaking of the original manga, I feel like. Uh, the bear in Ukraine and flinch feel like they were ripped straight out of the manga. Oh, totally. Especially in their first scene, because you've got, um, uh, well, well, cause this episode obviously was 
you know, it was an Osumi episode that Miyazaki and Takahata took over. And I feel like that is an Osumi left, like leftover. Cause when Miyazaki and Takahata take over, you don't really get monkey punch looking characters anymore. Cause these guys have like that smile that curls all the way up, like the side of their cheek. Uh, Ukraine's got like those beady eyes and he's got that, like, you know, the hair covering like, you know, half of his face. <laughs> and also Flinch. I like uh, Flinch's name because speaking of names that recur later, like Kowalski, I mean, Flinch, Mamo. Mamo. And I'm, I'm reminded of that very awkward uh, subtitle line in the original Discotech DVD is your name Flinch in the dangling penis, <laughs> which I know that's not what he actually says. He says something about is your name Flinch the Flasher or something. Well, I think someone explained that explained that line to me once in that uh, I want to say like the suffix chin is like related to a slang oh, yeah. term for penis. Yeah. Yeah. I, so so, that, so that, that's what that's where that guy comes from. Yeah. It's just it was very awkwardly translated on that initial yeah. DVD release. And that line always cracks me. It makes no sense. It's just so funny that Jigen pulls the guy in the corner, puts a gun up to his chin, then says that. Hey, are you limp <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I think it's also it's the equivalent of like Mushu and Mulan yelling, say that to my face, you limp noodle. So, <laughs> but also. Yeah, I, um, I feel like it's just something that doesn't translate well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, Drew, you bring up the character designs and how they look straight out of Monkey Punch. Can I also just bring up the fact that um, Ivanov or Ivanov kind of looks like he could have been influenced by um, a real, uh, real life character, a real life person. I say that be- huh. because of like how interesting his design looks compared to like compared to the Silver Fox and the other characters, like. The only thing I can think of in Lupin is, you know, it's a pretty good part two episode. I I laugh every time I watch it. But the part two episode where Lupin is dealing with literally Jacqueline Onassis and it does it does look like her, you know, it it very much, you know, it's drawn just like Jackie O. But but you but I kind of wonder is because of. Is there like this reoccurring thing within the animation studio that like if this character is based off a real person, um, they model it after them and they like kind of like low key, low key mention them that they're part in the story. I don't know, because it wouldn't surprise me that like maybe there was something coming about in the time of the 70s of some like Soviet Union. um, What do you call it? Um, Detroit. defactor who used to do like counterfeiting or something and they're on the run and they're trying to hide from their past life because this is so cliche and such a common (laughs) trope and it has happened in history that it could have happened to inspire this episode i don't know i'm just spewing (laughs) off random ideas now hey that's what we're all about over here (laughs) add more to the pepe (laughs) sylvie board Few more things I got here on my notes that I'll mention. Um, uh, we already mentioned. Uh, I, I brought up, you know, the the, uh, the comparison of Hothead Lupin and Mel Lupin. We already talked about Lupin bragging about the fight at the end, which I love. But I specifically love it the most in the original uh, Japanese performance because I love that Yasuo Yamada is still doing the garbled voice while he's talking. <laughs> Like he's like he's still got like 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 his cheeks are still swollen up while he's bragging about the fight that he clearly won hand over fists. So like you know, I forget what the line of dialogue is. Like you couldn't tell which end was you couldn't tell which end or not was his head. Not that you could to begin with. Um, uh, as he's just completely wrapped in bandages. And uh, the last thing I'll mention 
is Fujiko rules in this episode. I love her. Just that bit where she appears behind their plane and just guns it down, fully intending like, ah, you know, it's the uh, speaking of, uh, you know, something like, you know, the Russian subject matter. It's the uh, the Rocky four line. If he dies, he dies. It's pretty much what she says. <laughs> yeah. It's she like <laughs> fires behind him. Drew, that's so selfish of her. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, you know, it's so selfish that. Fujiko is a criminal and does criminal acts. You know, it's really, it's, it's she just, she, she's just such a terrible, she's the worst member of the Lupin gang. Honestly, she's the worst. She's just terrible. She's always so mean. She always backstabs. Um, uh, so bitches hate to see a girl boss win. I know is the right? problem in this fandom sometimes. Um, again, again, y'all, y'all's hatred of Fujiko is just self internalized misogyny. You, I don't care if you come at, we <laughs> come at me with that because at the end of the day i'm fucking right i'm sorry it's the benoit blanc quote it's just dumb yeah legit (laughs) 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 look if my thing is lupon and fujiko's relationship is literally that they're into it he's into it he gets off on her trying to fuck him over on on high secret it's literally like Oh, I'm so. Oh, honey, are you okay? I'm sorry, I tried to kill you. It's okay. I'll see you next Wednesday. We do the same, right? Right. Mwah. Literally does the same thing to her. Not even two seconds later. Exactly. Right. It, but it, but it, Emma, it, she's selfish for doing it's it. It's reciprocated. Oh, it's forgot. mutual. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like I, I, I love that back and forth. I love her playing all sides because, goddamn it, she's gonna get that money no matter what. And Lupin is just fully on board with it. He don't care. He'll partner with her fully knowing that she's going to like, you know, leave him and flinch stranded out there to fight. But like, he loves it. That's the whole point of the fucking relationship. You dummies. Hashtag anyway, I, I get mad at this fandom sometimes. No, so do I. I get, I mean, I could not the whole fandom. This, this fandom is mostly wonderful, but there are sometimes bozos. Look, just try. I say this now. I'll say it again. <laughs> I've said it again and I'll say it now. Try being in the mid 2000s and really loving the series and loving Fujiko as like a really powerful feminine icon in the series. But a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, she betrays the gang and she's a whore. And it's like, you just don't want to see a woman win. Just admit it. But uh, the last thing I'll mention about Fujiko, I'm a. I, I do love the dub for this episode too. I, my, my favorite line in this, honestly, is. Uh, Michelle Ruff is Fujiko. It's the bit where she uh, is talking, like, you know, she comes back to like, you know, give the peace offering to Lupin to like, you know, give her the info she has about Ivanov. And she says, you know, uh, well then, Fujiko, what sort of deal did you have in mind? I may have an inkling as to where this man you're trying to track down, this Mr. Ivanov is currently hiding. What? How do you know about that? Who cares? (laughs) She just goes back into the conversation. (laughs) She's so sassy. And I love her. Sassy Fujiko is my favorite. Michelle Ruff fully leans into the petty the last couple of years, and I'm all here for it. Well, I love it. I've I've loved I don't the know, petty. There's a lot of that in part two as well. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, it's it's not it's not really a recent development. Yeah, but the best example of the petty is not only just the Christmas episode, but honestly, my favorite um, is Emmanuel in Bangkok. Just oh, <laughs> that episode. I love the pettiness between uh, Fujiko and Emmanuel. It's lovely. <laughs> Anyway, it stands to reason that immortality, if it does exist, shouldn't be wasted on a mousy little tart with no breeding like yourself. 
Then again, if hell exists, why duplicate it here on Earth by reserving immortality for stuck-up bitches like you? Now, now, girls, please, can we get back... Also, I'm real dumb. I forgot to go through the uh, the guest actors in this. A few of them were not credited in English, so I'm just going to mention the Japanese actors because they were credited. I really wish a lot of the English actors were credited to the characters in this dub, but it's just not the case. So... Uh, Silver Fox is voiced by uh, Nobuyo Suda, who this is her only uh, role in the Lupin franchise, but she was also uh, Miharu Suneni and Heisler and Panther Zora in the original Cutie Honey series, which is cool. And she was also in the uh, the Galaxy Express 3.9 TV series as Boron and Satan. So, all right. Cool. Satan. <laughs> Uh, Baron Ukraine was voiced by Koji Nakata. Now, this was really cool because uh, Baron Ukraine, old Koji Nakata, also voices Joseph Malkovich, the villain in Lupin the Third, Stolen Lupin. I mean, Swallowtail Tattoo, which I'm not going to get used to that title. I'm sorry, TMS. But once again, TMS just not really good on their title game as of late. Still in Lupin sounds better. But that's cool because, like, obviously that just got released on a uh, Blu-ray by Discotech as we record like it was a few weeks ago so like that's a fun little connection there flinch was voiced by shikayuki hosoi who uh his only other role in the lupon franchise was herbert von meyer in the rose and the pistol from part two ah! which, uh, herbert von meyer that's, my, that's is old flinch y- you know that's my favorite episode right <laughs> oh hell yeah, yeah that's, that's the that's the one that's influenced by carmen the opera so Go ahead and insert, yeah. insert some of the ballads from Carmen. I will love you forever. The end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Ivanov was voiced by Aiken Mine. Wait a minute. That name's an interesting last name. A little connection there. Hey. Um, <laughs> uh, Mine voiced a number of just kind of like different characters here and there throughout the Lupin franchise on uh, AMA News Network. He's credited as the bank manager from episode 48 of part two. He is the Archbishop, the Archbishop's driver in the riot police in the castle of Cagliostro. He is the elder in the secret of Twilight Gemini. We won't hold that against him. He's also in. Uh, oh, yeah. And he's also the monk in the opening of the Hemingway papers. You know, that bit where uh, Goemon's, you know, like on the cliffside, the guy like comes to tell him he, the guy tells him about there's a, there's a thing the Zantetskin can't cut. That's even off. So there's some fun little connections there with the Japanese cast and like, you know, future installments, which is it's always fun to point that out. And um, the last note I'll end on this time, I promise. Um, It's really interesting. I'm I'm not going to like give it all away because on the discotheque Blu-ray, there is a description of the original script before Miyazaki and Takahata changed it. And it's interesting. It was going to be much more Osumi-ish. There was going to be a... uh, Let's see the elder brother of the Baron, a character named Volvo who got in a fight with Lupin and uh, died very early. And so Baron and the silver Fox team up to exact revenge on Lupin for um, uh, killing him. And there was also the, the whole relationship between silver Fox and Ivanov was different because silver Fox had a husband, but she hated her husband who kept her from being with Ivanov. And then she's the one who blows up the clock tower by herself and leaves Ivanov alive and he's very sad about it. So wait a minute. The Lupin gang wait, the, the rivals against Lupin were trying to avenge a car. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to. I had to. <laughs> so yeah, that, that sounds much more like a 
like a uh, Misaki Osumi episode. But then again, I say that I think Miyazaki and Takahata and Toru Sawaki did a really good job of like re- retrofitting the whole even off and Silver Fox thing is feeling kind of in step with what was it? Killer Sings the Blues. Like it, it kind of had that vibe to it. But instead of like, you know, that being the central focus, we cut outside to see two guys just fucking walloping each other. Um, Thank you for finishing yeah. that sentence. <laughs> we cut outside to see two guys fucking what? Walloping on each other. Oh, okay. I remember that now. <laughs> it reminds me of a. Um, I watched the uh, the Red Letter Media review, review of the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and they have an extensive little aside about the moment in uh, Secret of the Ooze. The turtles in April are wondering where Splinter's got off to. And I think April says, uh, Where's Splinter? He's been up on the roof ever since he saw your report. Really? Doing what? Coming <gasps> to a decision. <laughs> and there is a deliberate pause there. <laughs> or even like my favorite in in Encanto, where Mirabelle's father realizes, oh, they found the the prophecy that Bruno said, and they're like, nobody's gonna know. And then there's Dolores on the other side going, I know. And then Mirabelle's like, she's gonna tell everyone. Time to eat. Miércoles. Which, if you speak Spanish, you know what he was trying to say, but he can't say it because it's a kid's film. Miércoles <laughs> means Wednesday. He was trying to say shit, which is mierda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that pause, and it's like, miércoles. And those of us who spoke Holy Spanish. shit. <laughs> That's another good one. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I love, I love those kind of pauses where it's just like, oh, double entendre. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, going back to the episode for a sec here, uh, is it just me or does Miyazaki's fascination with counterfeiting does it remind anybody else of Ian Fleming's fascination with gold smuggling? Yeah, definitely. Oh, I, oh, that, that, that's a good call. Because, like, if I remember correctly, Ian Fleming, you know, of course, there's a whole thing with Goldfinger, but he also wrote a nonfiction book about gold smuggling. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's like it's like he was legitimately fascinated by it. So I'm wondering if maybe uh, counterfeiting has the same kind of appeal to Miyazaki. Well, keep in mind that in um, and and I could I could talk about this for hours as as a book nerd and as a historian, but um, post World War II stories that heavily played on like Cold um, Cold War influenced um, scenarios, where you get stories like um, you know Get Smart fits into this category, um, The Avengers, not the not the Marvel Avengers, yeah. but you know, the Avengers from the UK, James Bond and Stephen El- Peel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Emma Peel, my girl, RIP Queen Diana Rigg. But no, like these kind of stories that were heavily influenced by Cold War, um, Cold War, um, the times of the Cold War and post World War II um, phenomenons, they dealt with a lot of things that were like, <laughs> that were like starting to happen in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, there was a lot of gold smuggling, um, pre- predominantly fueled by. The fact that the Nazis, you know, bartered with, you know, part of the Nazis way to like give themselves um, a bit of an economy was stealing, unfortunately, you know, was stealing resources, including gold from the people that they've killed, predominantly the Jews, and then taking it to a lot of banks in, yes, Switzerland. So there was a lot of smuggling of this illegal gold, not just to locations like Argentina and Uruguay, where a lot of Germans fled. 
There was also a lot of um, counterfeiting going on, particularly in occupied Berlin. Um, so, the, mm. so the occupied Eastern Berlin, because it was occupied by the Soviets. So it was a commun- so it was a communist um, regime taking control of them. And what happens in a communist regime? Not a lot of people make a lot of money. Um, right. And so, what can you well, do? Well, in this case, they made it literally. Yeah. They, what, what can you, if you can't <laughs> if you can't earn a lot of money? What are you going to do? You're going to find ways to make it. Go. So this is where a lot of it comes into play. Like, yeah. this is where a lot of like Ian Fleming being like, "Oh my God, I'm hearing these stories about gold smuggling. Let me let me add it into James Bond or um, in I guess in Miyazaki scenario, ooh, people making money. Let me add this to to Lupin. <laughs> Which I mean, like. You know, to be fair to both Fleming and Miyazaki, you know, these are pretty fascinating things to research, I think. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, there was just like a lot of fascinating. I mean, I don't, there's a lot of scary and a lot of fascinating stuff that was happening um, during, oh, yeah, during the Cold War. And, and you see a lot of it influenced in the media. I mean, I think my favorite example of this has to be Dr. Strangelove. Or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Stop worrying and love the bomb. Yeah. And how everyone, you know, come on, you had to stop worrying and love the bomb in the sixties. But the fact that Hollywood was like, how do we, how do we address people's worry over the cold war? I know let's write this film. And then, you know, you get one of, I it, think it was the, based on a book. Was I yeah. think the movie was based on a book. Yes. And well, the book was a lot more serious. The book. Yeah. The book has a more serious tone than the film does, but Hollywood just picked up on that and was like, how are we going to make this funnier? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, they got Cubers to do a whole, uh, you know, turn into a political satire. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's really great. good. But yeah, like, oh yeah, it is. Media, m- a lot of spy media during um, the Cold War is just so fascinating, and I love how we still get some of it to this day in like Archer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, I could talk about this all day. I'm, I'm I apologize. <laughs> hey, it's a fascinating well, subject. Just like me and Ducky could talk about counterfeiting all day. Hey. I mean, what other <laughs> no problem? Well, what other times aside from in Lupin, with Cagliostro, cash counterfeiter, and then um, oh my goodness, well, what other times that he does he use counterfeiting as a plot device? I cannot remember. Oh. Um, I know there's, there's, there's Castle Cagliostro. There's also uh, Lupin caught in a trap. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I don't know if that really counts as being counterfeit because they were using the actual mint ah, to make those right. bills. But I can see that tying into his fascination with it. Oh yeah, just more indirectly. Um, but I reckon overall, I think I. I, I, I hold on a minute. <laughs> wow. Let me try that again. Um, uh, but overall, I think I'm. Uh, I think it's safe to say we were all we were all very hot on this episode. It's always great, and there's an episode that's like you know, it's like an episode that's 24 minutes long, and we're going for now like an hour and 20 minutes. That's how you know shit's good, man. Or really terrible. Uh, <laughs> in this case, though, the former. One, one of the extremes. <laughs> and ah, feels good to be back talking about part one again, and on such a fucking banger episode. And man, I'm so I'm so excited to see where this goes, especially episode thirteen when it like starts to get into full Miyazaki territory. It's gonna be an interesting and a very interesting contrast. It's and. If you don't mind me asking. Uh, that is, but where's the time machine, yeah, if I'm not Kiyoshi, mistaken? That's Kiyoshi oh, Yamamo. Yes. That's, my, that's my favorite oh, yeah. episode in part one, honestly, because um, I'm such a dork for time traveler stories, and also Kiyoshi Mamo is yes. a riot, and I love him. Yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to talk about the manga story that one's based on. 
And the, the best part about being back to part one episode by episode is that means we get these episodes out a little more frequently. So look forward to that pretty soon, Lupontic folks. Yay. So, and, and, uh, and, and see you for our next episode in uh, August. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> You're in right, though. 20, no, our next episode will come out in 2027. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, part two. <laughs> yeah, part two episode. Well, actually, Four. we have a special plan for part two, but y'all are going to have to wait for that when we get to it. It's going to be real fun. But to wrap up, we'll uh, tell everyone where they can find us on social media. Uh, Natalie, where can we find you on these social medias? Uh, you can, as long as Twitter's still up, apparently it's been replaced by a doggy right now, um, which I find what the fuck <sighs> hilarious. But no, let's not talk about that. You can find me on Twitter at Cap, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. So Capley Helsing. You can find me on Instagram at Captain C-A-P-T-A-I-N-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. I'm starting to come back to social media. I mean, I do a lot of retweeting and the occasional whatnot, but um, I've been cooking a lot. So if you want to see a lot of my rest, a lot of what I've been coming up with, I might make those into Instagram reels just because I can. So yeah, follow me on Instagram for that. Um, I'm finally going to have the time to write. So once I get that done, my name up. Look up for my writings. Um, but yeah. Nice. Um, and also, yeah, I guess if you want to stalk me and see um, how my dress looks for the wedding in two weeks, definitely check out my Instagram. Emma, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E-227. Um, if this comes out before the 15th, please follow Anime Lockdown, spelled exactly how you think, A N. I-M-E-L-O-C-K-D-O-W-N. I am going to be doing a panel uh, on April 15th at 4 p.m. called What's the Worry? It's a historical analysis of Lupin III and Alcatraz Connection. Completely unserious. Hope to be a good time. Um, <laughs> so look out for that. And It'll blow your mind. <laughs> Lord Almighty. <laughs> 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 and... um. You can follow me on Instagram at E-M-W-O-L-F-E-227. Almost forgot how to spell my last name for a second. Um, <laughs> blow your mind. I just not got it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blowing, apparently. Uh, those are really the most active social media uh, that I got. Again, please uh, look for that panel and follow Anime Lockdown Twitter um, to get their Twitch on April 15th. So, Chris... Where can we find you? Well, in about two and a half hours, you'll find me at a theater getting ready to watch the Super Mario Brothers movie. Woo. On that Woo. note, there you go. Boy, that's, that's a better one than Chris Pratt did. Um, <laughs> on that note, I run a, uh, I'm running a blog where I play through every Super Mario game in order. It's at yeah. Super Mario Forever at uh, blogger.com. I have my own official site, the amazing Chris Godby, G-O-D-B-E-Y.com. I have two web comics, weirdinacan.com, drawocoward.com. And you can find me on Instagram at amazing Chris Godby. I, I can also be found on Newgrounds and a few other places. You can find me on DeviantArt, if anybody still uses that, as well as Twitter at Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. And... Wow, I'm all over the place, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, move over, Pitbull. There's new Mr. Worldwide. Anyway, Drew, <laughs> where, 
Where about where about are you located? Well, you can find me on Twitter while it still exists. We'll see how that goes. At Drew Hunter 15, that's D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. You'll find me tweeting about movies, anime, uh, currently like some fighting game stuff here and there. But and also, uh, speaking of movies, Blu-rays I buy and drain my entire bank account on on a daily basis. Tobias, if you're listening, hello. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter. And Instagram at LuponPod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can find us on Mastodon also at LuponPod. That's once again L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. And uh, you can also follow us on Coffee. Once again, L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. No, if you'd like to, feel free to uh, leave a little donation. All the uh, funds we get go straight to our SoundCloud hosting. And uh, if we get enough some extra equipment for a recording specifically like, you know, some new mics here and there, but like, you know, that's only if we get enough. And again, donations are not expected and not required, but greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, trying to think, is there any of the social medias we are on? We're on the blank here for a moment. Oh yeah. And you can listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple podcasts and Spotify, feel free to scroll up or down and leave us a star rating. And review. You don't have to make it a five star review, but once again, it's not required, but it's greatly, <laughs> greatly appreciated. You know, I'm in, I'm in such a good mood tonight. I'm not going to threaten the listeners if they don't. Yeah, well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> However, I will say that everyone that gives us five stars is greatly loved and appreciated by hand. <laughs> <laughs> in what way? Well, that's Mm. up to the the listeners to find out, isn't it? Well, again, I don't kink shame. (laughs) On that note, Lupontic folks, catch us again when we finally, thank fucking God, are back to part one, episode by episode. And I'm, I'm thrilled, and I swear to God, if TMS announces a new thing, and it's not the Kawike film, and it's a long, extensive series within within this year, I will... What if it's what if it's Lupin <laughs> Zero like part two? Okay, that okay, th- that's the exception. If it's Lupin Zero Kawike. Okay. But if it's anything else, if a fucking shitty TV special comes out, I swear. Oh hey Drew. So T- Hi, everybody. So TMS so Drew. <laughs> TMS legit just announced um, a new twenty episode Lupin series of Lupin as a father. I cannot wait to review that. To be honest though. An anime adaptation of Lupin Jr. I would be interested. In. Me too. Oh yeah, I would cool. totally be, in, be cool. into that. Just not this year, please. But, please. Fujiko's <laughs> my Fujiko's my mother, really. <laughs> so I mean, Lupin never, you know, did it. The real Fujiko does it all the time. Lupins are all like, <laughs> love it. Uh, well, until next time, Lupontic folks. See ya. Bye. Don't take any wooden nickels or fake bills. Bye.